To get a look at the people and places we're talking about in this show, and to find out how you can call or email in a tip, visit our website, downthehillpodcast.com. So much of what we do, we have to evaluate and analyze, right? I mean, there's, just, there's business perspectives and business models and metrics, and I hate all that stuff. I hate it all. Because we don't really know the positive effect on so many people like those two little girls that are going to view life differently now than ever before. And then the circle of life happens and then they have children. And you are what you witness as a child, right? So what does that really mean over time? I think there's a lot of good that will come of this. I think so. And I've noticed it up there in that community. And I've, I've, every time I get an opportunity to talk about that community, I do. Um, you can't walk down the street without being, being grabbed hold of or thank you waving at you with all hands, with all fingers. You know, when you, when, you, when you drive through there, you can't go anywhere without somebody saying thank you. That's pretty cool. Doesn't happen everywhere else. By now, you're probably asking yourself, how has there not been an arrest? Given everything we've learned so far, it's an understandable question. So let's catch up. School was out the day that Libby German and Abby Williams were murdered. That was widely known. It was a planned day off. They went for a hike on the Monon High Bridge, an old railroad bridge that hasn't been in use since the 80s and has seen better days. At some point after crossing the portion of the bridge over Deer Creek, they encountered their killer. We know that because Libby took out her phone and started recording video. In a still from that video, we see a man wearing blue jeans, a blue jacket, and a brown hoodie. His face is difficult to make out. And at some point in that encounter, he orders them to go down the hill. Words that were recorded on Libby's phone. We know that hill is at the south end of the bridge. They walked onto the bridge from the north. We don't know how, but the killer and the girls crossed back to the other side of the creek, not far from where they were dropped off. That's where their bodies were found almost a day after they went missing about a quarter mile from the bridge. Investigators have been very, very, very tight-lipped about the crime scene. And even now, more than three years later, they still haven't released most of the details. We don't know how or when they were killed, and we don't know why. All we really know is that whatever investigators saw out there, it shook them badly. We recently learned new details about that crime scene. The killer left at least two signatures there. If he kills again, we're told that those signatures will most likely be at that scene, too. We're also told the crime scene was odd, strange, words seemingly connected to what those signatures were, and the possibilities we think of when we hear that are probably way off. All this gives us some insight into the type of killer we may be dealing with and the nature of the crimes he committed. More new mysteries. In this story, there always are. Who did this? What happened out there that day? Why is this crime not solved? Police.
Police are also examining this Snapchat photo. It was taken just before both girls disappeared. I made the announcement that the girls have been found and it was not to a good end. We are investigating this as a crime scene. Uh, we suspect foul play. Law enforcement is saying that one of the girls actually took video on her iPhone. They say it was right before she was murdered. It's amazing that we have a video, we have a still photograph, we have sound, and we don't know who this person is. It could be half of the white males in Carroll County. To the killer who may be in this room, we likely have interviewed you. We know that this is about power to you, and you want to know what we know. And one day, you will. This is Down the Hill, The Delphi Murders. I'm Barbara McDonald, along with Andrew Iden. We just ran down the major details up to this point in the timeline. It adds up to what simultaneously seems like a lot and practically nothing. In our last chapter, we learn new details about the crime scene, and the picture has gained a little more focus. From this point forward, with a few very notable exceptions, the police circle the wagons and go silent for a while. There's a lot to put together here, and the pieces can fit in a number of ways. To get a sense of the what, though, it's essential to understand the where. Place matters here a lot, and we want you to feel that, too. So in this chapter, we're taking you to Delphi, to the woods, to the bridge. Part one. We caught up. Yeah, I wouldn't trade small community life or anything except for the day that this happened. You just look in the eyes and it was the only thing that this community talked about. And now, whenever you Google Delphi, you just punch in Delphi, the first thing that comes up. And now that's a part of our community and it is a part of who we are now. Delphi, Indiana is about an hour and a half northwest of Indianapolis. It's the Carroll County seat and an easy drive to Chicago, two hours if you're up for a Cubs game. It's a small northeast neighbor to Lafayette. They're the home of Purdue, the Boilermakers. Downtown is divided by Washington and Main Streets, and a beautiful old stone and marble courthouse sits where the two intersect. Up and down Main Street, you'll find plenty of beautiful old buildings hosting Delphi's shops and restaurants and books. Oh, this is a Carnegie Library. I mean, this is a library that was built in the early 1900s and has seen a lot of expansion. And um, it's a great place for kids to come. I brought my kids here, you know, when they were little for puppet shows and story time. Julia Leahy is the executive director of the Carroll County Chamber of Commerce here in Delphi. It's her job to get people to come to town. She's lived here her entire life and is a good person to give us the lay of the land. Delphi is a quaint, um, small community that has a lot of interesting things to do. Um, you're so close to the bigger cities. I think people like to, to live here, visit here, because it's that small town, slower pace. You know, and you can escape the hustle and bustle of the bigger cities, but you're so close if you need those big city amenities. What are some of the big landmarks 
for places. Some of the landmarks here, uh, we're home of the Wabash and Erie Canal. So there is a one-mile section where you can actually take a canal boat ride um, and kind of live like you did in the 1800s. Um, and that was entirely built by volunteers, the center, the park, the trail system. Um, another thing that was more recent, uh, about six years ago, was the Delphi Opera House. And so that's been interesting for people to come and see uh, performances back in the early 1900s with James Whitcomb Riley. What are the people of Delphi like? People of Delphi are friendly. You know, it's it's not unusual to walk down the street and say hi to to you. People greet you that way, and I'm sure you have found that, too. It's we people have. wave, they say hello. If you look lost, they're going to stop and say, what can we help you with? Um, we're, very, we're a close community, uh, is how I would describe us. Do you think that people outside of this area connect Delphi with this crime? How do you mean? Well, I mean, is that something you come up against as you're promoting this area mm-hmm. when you say— I'm yes. from Delphi. Yes. What do people say? Exactly. So for months on end, when I would travel and go to conferences and things like that, and they want to know where you came from, and I would say, well, my, I live and work in Delphi. And it was an immediate reaction. And even to this day, it doesn't happen as often, but people are like, oh, yeah, I remember what happened there in Delphi. And even from a tourism point of view, when, when you Google Delphi or you Google things to do, I mean, that's what's coming up. You know, it's sad that we're known for that now. Um, and I hope that people realize that there's so much more here and you can come here, enjoy a lot of things, but also still know that you're in a, in a place where people remember fondly, you know, about these girls. So it's, uh, it sounds like there's a resiliency to the town. Mm. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I think people here are strong. The kids were strong. You know, my niece was the same age, and it just—they have come through this. You know, it, it's sad that they all had to grow up so quickly that day. And um, but you see them. People are close. You know, people are closer together. Um, I think you're willing to help your neighbors out even more than what you ever were before. Um, but there's still this this. People are just more cautious, more suspicious. They look over their shoulders, which people probably already do in bigger cities. But here we didn't. We didn't have to. We didn't have to lock your door. You didn't have to worry about that. And now... Stuff like this didn't happen here. No, it doesn't happen here. And it's like we caught up to the rest of the world in the most horrific way possible. Now that Julia's given us an idea of what Delphi is like, let's get out into the county and look around. With all the pictures and video you may have seen of where the crime happened, the trails, the woods, the bridge, it's easy to assume all that is in a remote area far away from everything. It's actually a short drive from downtown. It's only about five minutes or so. We got in the car and headed that way. All right, so we are approaching the parking lot now for, in fact, right here this sign indicates this is the parking lot for the Monon High bridge. 300 North is a narrow country road. And as far as the story of the Delphi murders is concerned, it's our main backdrop and where that day in February 2017 began. So keep going on this road. And what's going to happen is we're going to go under the Hoosier Highway here. And then the water tower should be up on the left 
once we come out from under here. And we're going to be making a right turn at the stop sign. So yeah, the water tower is right there to the left. We go right. That's Barbara giving us this mini tour of the area. She'd been here twice before as part of HLN's reporting team. I'm driving, and Dan, our producer, is sitting in the back. Now, this is 300 North, this road. Yeah, and so over here on the left, this is the Mears Farm. This is where a lot of the law enforcement and even the families came and parked here uh, because this was the entrance. So here's the red gate. You can see it now up on the right. There's not much of a parking lot here, which is why it was a drop-off spot and not right. really a, a place where people parked. So way. right here, this is exactly where the girls went into the trail. And they walked just a few minutes down there and to the left. Right. And then walked down in these trees that we're seeing to the right of us now. Yeah. I don't know if these are soybeans growing here or what this is. Uh, but this is a big agriculture area. And as we go further up where those trees are, that should be where the cemetery is. And that cemetery is one of the landmarks because it indicates the crime scene. The crime scene was just down from the cemetery closer to the creek. So we're also approaching Ron Logan's property. Correct. On the other side of the cemetery is where his land begins. And then he owns quite a bit of land down by the creek as well. Now, as we're looking to the right, that is where the bridge and the creek and where the girls were. This is Ron's house here. It's a pretty house. Mm Mm-hmm. Looks like an old house. Yeah, he's lived there for a long time. And he owns quite a bit of land back here. I don't know how many total acres, but it's a lot. Let's talk about Ron Logan. If you've done any Googling about this case, you've probably seen his name. In just about every complicated, high-profile murder, there are inevitably people who become part of the story because of circumstance. That's Ron. The killer left Abby and Libby on a piece of his land, and a whole world of attention landed on him. We've attempted to reach him several times and invited him to be on the show, but he wasn't interested. Back in February of 2017, though, he gave plenty of interviews, guided tours, and looks at the freshly cleared crime scene to journalists. Asha Horn was a producer for HLN then and got the full Ron Logan tour, too. Here's a little bit of that. So where's the high bridge? Come on down here. You can actually sit in my property. Okay, there's the taped-off area where the girls were found. This is a, oh no, I can get down here, right. but this is steep. I know. So fun. how, because of that, how? What are the entry points? Like, how would someone actually? You're, you're seeing it. So someone would. This is the only way. Th- well, you can walk. Okay. Yeah, you okay? Yep. You all right? All right. Got it. You're good to go. Make a country girl out of you. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in this tape-off area, the girls were found. I'm not sure what location they were actually laying in. Any. The family of the German girl came here the other day and put some flowers down there in a particular spot, so maybe they know more about it than I do. 
Probably. So, other than coming through your property, though, how else okay, can... This, my property <laughs> ends over here, and the other guy begins in the big ravine here. Before we move on, we need to say this. Ron has repeatedly denied any involvement in this crime. He has never been named as a suspect, and as far as we can tell, he's not a suspect at all. He's just a guy who's been caught up in the massive undertow this case has created. Another victim of circumstance. Just a reminder that our website is a great place to see some of the places we're talking about. Maps, pictures, and video await you at downthehillpodcast.com. Prepare yourselves. The time for brand new Rick and Morty adventures is almost here. Wait, wait, what? This is what you've been waiting for. New Rick and Morty on Adult Swim. Part two, turn around here. We know that Ron Logan's property is where, as far as we know, this crime ended. But where it started, that's not far from Ron's house. The Mears farm is directly across the street from that red gate where Abby and Libby were dropped off. We parked there along with the person who drove them that day, Libby's sister, Kelsey German. We're about to go into those same woods and walk the path the girls walked. But before we do, we need to explain what you're about to hear. We've actually been to these woods twice, once with Kelsey and once with ISP Superintendent Doug Carter. One was there for the beginning of the story, and the other's intent on being there for the end. We visited the site of the crime with both on different days, and starting with Kelsey, we'll be moving back and forth between those moments and perspectives as we make our way down the trail towards the bridge where all of this started. So the red gate wasn't here at the time? No, it was actually just a sign that said Monon High Bridge, kind of where that, like, tree is, like, okay. where the end of the fence is. And then um, it was just open, and you could park there and go in and visit the trails, and it was easier to get from High Bridge to here that way because it's a shorter walk. Because now the official entrance is, what, like a quarter mile or so away from where we are. Yeah, it's a very long walk from High Bridge to Freedom Bridge. But from here to the bridge, much shorter. A lot shorter, yeah. I've been out here lots of of times. And you said the last time we spoke to you that for you the woods will never be the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still feel that way. Even when I'm at home in my own woods, yeah. I think lots of, I think a lot of people feel that way. There's been um, a lot of violation here. From the freedom and sanctity of a rural place to the perception of safety and security. If you're willing to bet most parents in this area wouldn't drop their kids off here anymore. What a shame. What a shame. This is the path that you watched your sister walk down. Yeah. And how far did you watch them walk? Um, until I couldn't see them anymore. So it was probably, 
and a few feet, a little ways past these streets. How different does this area look in the winter? Uh, in the winter, it's there's like no leaves, so it's very dark, but you can see so much more, like into the trees. It's just as pretty as it is though, now, then. Talk a little bit about the logistics of coming out here and searching for two girls yeah. when you don't know where they are. Right. It's almost impossible, really, to get your arms around that. Uh, this is as rural as it gets in, anywhere in the country, really. Uh, it's, it's rolling, it's up and down. Yeah, there's not much straight other than the trail. It was quite a task. It was quite a task. And and the search began just as it's starting to get dark. It did, right around 4 o'clock in the afternoon or so, yeah. Did it complicate things for you guys that this is such a volunteer community and when people heard they just came out and started searching on their own? No. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. Now, the, the, obviously the end result wasn't good but there was nothing compromised by them doing what they did. So some people have speculated that we've heard an estimate that maybe there were a thousand people out here searching that first night and that that did, in fact, contaminate your crime scene. I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of speculation. It's easy to have an opinion when you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it'd be different if once the girls were found, that would have been completely moved. That's not the case. I don't agree with that statement. With so many people looking for them that first night, why weren't they found? Um, I, I think I'll leave that question unanswered. We are approaching the area where the girls entered the trail, and there's a, a trail marker there that's become a bit of a memorial. What does it mean to you? Ah, oh, this intersection's tough for me. It will always be tough for me. Um... I can close my eyes and I can see him, the innocence here. You know, I can see he came from the left side over here and laughing and joking and cutting up like two young girls do probably, or walking quietly or walking, having a conversation about whatever. And then they turn left and the world's about to change. You know, so many people, I'm not afraid of where they are. But for those that remain, I'm thinking, man, man, if they'd have just turned right. You know, not left. So yeah, this is a pretty special place. You know, on that bench, and like you say, the beauty up there. Uh, it's something. And there's a reason this all happened. I just don't know what it is yet. Just don't know what it. I just don't know what it is. I don't know. Is that to the girls? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I always check to see if there's something that he could have left here. Like maybe he left a note for them or maybe he left a rock that he painted or something because he could have. So I just always check the notes when we come here and the notes on our grave and things like that. What do you think he would say in a note? How would you recognize that it was an item left by him? I don't know. I just feel like if it was from him, I would know just by looking at it. I feel like he'd be really sneaky and try to do something like that. What did that note say? Uh, it looks like a poem. It says, 
Love is so strong that it will guide your way. And everyone is still looking for the coward that stole you away. So keep smiling and guiding us all down below for we love you so much that your soul's beauty and love will never grow old. Do you think there could be that element that he's he's watching, he's he's that close now? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, whoever it, it is and whoever it was is, has stared at this nature reserve sign just like we are right now. I know that. Even if it was first day, he stood right here. He stood right here. Yeah. When you would go out to the crime scene, what is that like? It's very peaceful. Um, and you guys probably haven't been out there, but it's just in the middle of the woods and it's just the most peaceful place because you can watch the creek and just sit there and think about the the nature that's around you instead of what happened. Do you feel like that area is secluded? Is it an area that he would have known that I have privacy here? Probably, yes. You can't really see anything. You can just barely see the bridge and you can see all of the water and just nothing but trees. So I don't think anybody would have heard them or him or anyone else. We're approaching the bridge now. Damn. What do you see as you look at it? Him? I can see him standing right out there. I can see him standing right out there. I feel the same way every stinking time I come here. Gosh dang it. You know, and then you look back this way and you see them walking here. You can see you can see Abby and Libby just just doing what girls do. Yeah, I'll be glad when this bridge is gone. Do you think him approaching them on the bridge was intentional, or is that just where he caught up with them? No, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. It'd be speculative. Nobody knows right now. I don't know. Gosh, I hope we can ask him one day and hope he'll tell us and then be free. Let's walk up here closer. All right, that goes right down. Oh, it goes right down. Nothing good's going to happen. That's like, what, 73 feet? This was gone then, too. That was gone then, too. So, you know, for the... I mean, if those would have been my girls and I would have found out they'd have crossed this, I'd just say, hey, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? We talk to a lot of people who have crossed the bridge who say the first time they crawled. Yeah, I've heard that, too. I've I've heard that, too. But I've also talked to people who've ridden ATVs across this. Oh, my gosh. Do you think that... Libby took that video intentionally because she was concerned or was she already recording video when he approached? I think she did what she thought she could do to identify who this person is. I want to thank her for that one day. Yeah. Yeah, I think she realized something was really badly wrong. And for whatever, I don't know what, you know, we don't know why. We don't know what led up to that. We don't know what interaction there was. We know a little bit more than what we have talked about, but there's a lot of detail in that engagement that we don't know. Can you put like a percentage on how much of the story you feel you understand now? Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. That's a, that's, man, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. We know a lot about before and after, but there's a lot about the middle that we don't know. So I would, I would say two thirds, you put a third in the middle. That makes the beginning and the end make sense. 
Yeah, me and Libby came out here a lot to take pictures and things. Um, it's just a really cool, we have a lot of really cool trails in Delphi that are really fun to explore and walk down. And it's really sad that we can't do that anymore without feeling safe here because we used to be able to and now we can't. The day that you dropped off Libby and Abby, you did see other kids out here, right? Yeah, other kids that were like Libby's age were here. Um, and I knew that a lot of my friends were out here, so I knew it would be okay or thought it would be okay. So do you think this was the kind of place that on a day off from school that a lot of people might think, hmm, there might be some kids or people out at the high bridge? Oh yeah, I'm sure people knew that there would be kids out here. Especially if you lived here, you knew that people would go out and go on the trails when they had a day off. Most of the time we would go during the summer and I would absolutely not want to cross it, but I wouldn't let her go by herself. So I would cross it because she wanted to. And she wasn't afraid of crossing this bridge? Libby wasn't scared of anything, except needles and anything that caused pain. From the time their little feet hit that very railroad tie right there, and we know they did, what happened between here and there, and then that initial engagement with the murderer, what happened? So they were on the far end of this bridge when Libby took that video. Yeah. And Abby was still on the bridge. You've said before you think that maybe he knew this area well enough to know that's a very vulnerable place over there. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, well, the bridge is really scary, and uh, I wouldn't cross it had I not known what it looked like. And so if you don't know what it looks like, then you, would, you wouldn't know how vulnerable you are when you're on it. So um, I definitely think he took advantage of how vulnerable they were there at that moment. What do you say to the people who are frustrated it hasn't happened yet? Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I don't often say I understand to people, but I, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Do anything. You do anything to help people close this chapter. You know, one of the things that we kind of talk about within a story is when you don't know what happened, usually the simplest explanation is is what happened. When we find out what happened here, do you think it's going to be simple? Is it going to be the simplest explanation? No, I don't think so. And that's just my own personal opinion. Uh, because it's it's just complex. It's from from what happened down there to what happened over there is complex. And there's not a simple explanation. You know, if I mean, if, if you and I were standing on this bridge and you pushed me off and I died, simple explanation, right? Right. Or I jumped, simple explanation. Tragic, but simple explanation. That's not, that's not, that's not like this. Between here and there. So now you have a good chunk of the picture. Over these last few hours, you've heard what happened. 
You've heard the information the police want you to know, and some of what they probably don't. We've given you the lay of the land and brought you to the trails themselves. You know what it's like to stand on that bridge. From here on out, it's all about the puzzle. There are a lot of theories and speculation that begin to work their way into this story because of the geography. Who came and went, from where and how? A lot of that has to do with the places we've already shown you and talked about, and the places we're about to bring you now. This is important, though. None of this theorizing or speculating is coming from the police. It's from everyone and everywhere else. Family, friends, locals, journalists, the Internet. For Drew and Dan, their first time exploring the area brought many, many questions. It probably has for you, too. Let's get back in the car and work through some of them. What I was going to ask is, do we know if there's any thought to where the perpetrator began to walk on the trail? That's the million-dollar question. Nobody knows where he came from, and nobody knows where he went to when he was done. All we know is that he was on the bridge, because we have video of that. Nobody knows where he came from, where he left to. And there are so many possibilities. Did he walk here? Did he come from one of these properties and simply walk? Was he a trucker who perhaps stopped on the Hoosier Highway and found a way into the trails from there? Was he parked at this abandoned CPS building and out for a walk? Apparently that was an area that people would sometimes leave their car if they were out here walking. And it's close to here that the actual crime scene was, right? Yes, so it's 50 yards from here, from this fence. 50 yards? That's visible. 50 yards towards the creek. If the maps line up, it should be this far line of the cemetery here Mm -hmm. should match up if you were able to do a straight line down 50 yards. That's okay. So it's down here. So it's down there. Yes. Is there a, has this fencing always been there? I believe it has. And you can see that if you did go this way, this would not necessarily be an easy walk. Right, because there's barbed wire. I don't know if the barbed wire is here. Then. Right, well, there's fencing, and then there's just also, I mean, the, the forest is very thick here. Uh, the ground is very uneven. There's trees that have fallen. There's ravines. That was also the problem that the searchers had. They're out here at night. This area would be relevant as his point of egress. Perhaps. Well, one theory is that if this is a person who's local, who knows this area well, A lot of people come here and hunt and fish, and he may know multiple ways in and out of this area. I think one theory early on was that perhaps it was somebody who had access to Ron Logan's property, since the girls were found on his property, and that maybe it was somebody from there who went down. Apparently, Ron Logan has horses, and is kind of known in town as a guy who lets people come and hang out on his property and ride his horses, perhaps lets people hunt on his property, that kind of thing. So there there are young guys who come to his property on a regular basis. And everybody in these farms and like in those silos and grain silos over there, employees all been questioned. As far as we know, there is also somewhere 
over to our right, west of, or east rather, of where we're located, there is a, a meatpacking facility. And apparently cops went there and checked everybody out there. Because also one of the theories is that the video that Libby took with her phone, the man is wearing a blue jacket that some people say looks like a work jacket. Especially if you work in a plant where there's cold storage and right. know, packing of meat, etc. Right. And some people believe he was dressed too heavily for the day because the weather was rather warm and he's in a what appears to be a heavy jacket with a hoodie underneath. Some people also think that perhaps he was just hiding things in his clothing, perhaps a kill kit or weapons of some sort, ropes, whatever he thought he might need. Now, this is the direction that Derek drove to come and pick up the girls. And there's a bridge just a few minutes down here, and that's where he was when he made the first call at 3.11 to say, I'm almost there. And Libby did not answer. You can see bits of the creek down here. Um, But you can see how steep some areas of this are. There are areas that it flattens out. Um, A lot of people have asked about the area where the man sat down the hill and how steep is that. What police have told me is that it was walkable. It's a little on the steep side, but it's not something that you would have fallen down. It's something you could have walked down. We just saw those pickup trucks. Was there anybody out hunting or fishing that day? We don't know. Um, There probably were. Uh, I know that searchers and family members have said that as they came to begin searching, they did see people who were just out enjoying the day, hiking, walking, taking pictures. Because it was warm. It was. It it was like the first warm day of the winter. Right. Right. People want to get outside. And yes, it was sunny. The sun was out. People were excited about spring. And wanting to get out. And Deer Creek, from what I understand, is a very popular place to fish. Very popular. Well, they encountered him on the bridge. Yes. Which direction? Do we know which direction they were walking? We... It's tough to tell. It is tough to tell. The belief is that when Libby took the video, that she was on the far end, the southeastern end of the bridge. Walking back towards the entrance from where they came walking away from where they came in. Okay, yes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And that that part of the bridge is the um, well, as Kelsey says, she thinks that he knew they were trapped there. That once they're on the far end of the bridge, there's very few places to go. It's, it's not the same as on the, the front end of the bridge that's part of the official walking trail the far end of the bridge there's no trail there there's no path you're supposed to turn around and come back he directed them down the hill you know for girders like of this nature um, the killer often returns to the site of the kill and I'm just wondering if the police have ever staked it out or put even like one of those wildlife camps that you, you know you put. I imagine they have. Um, there are a lot of people who think that perhaps this killer stayed around to 
see what was going to happen as people discovered that these girls weren't where they were supposed to be, that maybe he even blended into one of the search parties. I was going to say, or the return to the crime as, as a searcher. Right. Either he came back and participated in a search or perhaps stayed, participated in a search and was able to leave that way undetected. Yeah, what common thread is of murders like this that don't have a, you know, frequent recurrence is that the killer will often revisit that site again and again and again because reliving it, the memory of reliving it is is, is the gratification. Is enough right. for that, yeah. And this entire area is very popular with hunters, people fishing. So it would be easy for somebody to return Undetected. Yeah, undetected. As you just heard, the more you see, the more you learn, the more questions you find. That's one of the frustrating things about this case. There are parts of this mystery that just don't add up or make sense. And as you try to pull it together, all you have are brief moments, flashes of what happened and where. You know they're important, you know they connect, but you don't know how. And just as you feel you have it figured out, that you have a hold of it, it slips away. Soon though, investigators will give us a lot more to think about. But the complete picture, who did this, what happened out there, And how is it not solved? That will remain just out of reach. Next time on Down the Hill. On the subject of pictures, we're slipping back into this story's timeline, where finally... You study that face, and you look at the sketch, and you try to think about how old they are, and, and, you know, try to make make some connection. A face... What's the, the first lesson you learn in science? For every action, there's a equal, opposite reaction. So that's our, I think, our, in our makeup as human beings. We're trying to justify, to rationalize. Well, this happened, so this, what is the cause? What's, what's over here? What's the action that caused? Well, you, that doesn't work with evil. It just doesn't. What police will release is the action. To just take somebody, you know, your neighbor, somebody you don't like, or somebody you found online and you think it looks like the sketch, we don't allow that. And the reaction, that's its own story. Down the Hill is written and produced by Barbara McDonald, Andrew Iden, and me, Dan Semitovich, with original music and scoring by Shuvo Sir and production support from associate producers Michael Dudley and Kayleen Chassie. If you want to see the people, places, and things we're talking about, visit our website, downthehillpodcast.com. Brian Bell is HLN's Senior Director of Programming, and Tyler Moody is the Vice President of the Warner Media Podcast Network. Sherry Seldes is our Senior Production Manager. A lot of folks at HLN and CNN worked very hard to help make this show go, and we want to give a big thanks to them, too. Also, a special thanks to the people of Delphi and the members of law enforcement who are in charge of solving this crime. And most important of all, we want to thank you for listening. We hope you join us next time.